What is up guys, welcome to episode 33 of the Triage Method podcast. This is technically part 2 of a podcast, so go back and listen to the previous episode if you haven't, otherwise this is going to feel like it's just totally out of nowhere. But I'm here with Mr. Paddy Farrell, head of nutritional biophysichemistry here at Triage Method. How are you Paddy this week? I am absolutely fantastic, as I am every single week that you ask well thank you for at least asking you know someone said this week to me that they thought that it was in fact not too easy is this true i can confirm it is too easy i thought that that's okay we can move on why did they think it was not too easy (sighs) apparently the too easy attitude puts people down and makes them feel like they're inadequate why because they can't deal with their life problems (sighs) i don't know i'm just i'm just passing on the message that it's not too easy so what you mean to say is having a mentality, a positive mentality, puts people down. So what would they rather? What they'd rather us have a depressive mentality and say everything's too hard. That's exactly. So that would make them, that would make them feel vindicated and what? Give them a method for progression or what? Exactly, because if you say things are too hard, then it puts the circumstance ahead of you and hence the circumstances fault as opposed to you if you fail at anything so that's more comforting right yeah unfortunately that is the, the mentality these days however that has <laughs> literally nothing got to do with what we're going to talk about today because as you said this is part two and part one was dealing with you know the assessment and all that jazz with regard to the lower body essentially because we did kind of that squat pattern and then we did that kind of we'll call it a hip hinge pattern and as i said then like you know stuff like hip thrusts and stuff do fit in with that as well so what we need to do now is move on to the upper body assessment and um, you know because people obviously train their upper body like obviously the two of us don't because we're we're resistance training non-responders so we just we don't train like um but people do train their upper body so again i think we'll use framework we'll do like a pushing movement and in that like we're talking about all the different planes of motion you know from we'll say a dip all the way to an overhead press obviously there's different stuff that goes on as you go through those different planes um and we'll kind of discuss those as well and then we'll talk about the pulling movements and we'll probably break that down it's a little bit easier to contextualize so we'll probably break that down into a row and like that, that chin up or pull down kind of position. Does that make sense for you, Gary? Yes, sir. Right. Break it down for us. We'll start with the, the push because everyone loves to fucking bench press and this will be released on a Monday. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about the bench press first. I know you mentioned a dip there and like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't think we'll go through the dip in this podcast just because we want to do two push, two pull, but we did actually just release a video on the triage militia this week that teaches you how to assess your dip range very quickly and very simply so obviously i assume you're in the triage militia but anyway um the dip is still something you should be concerned about as are all other pushing exercises these are just models to work off so when it comes to the bench press the big concern i suppose for most people is working their chest like generally that's what people are looking to get out of the bench press or like generally increase their horizontal pressing strength. Maybe you want to get stronger at pushing people away and that's your goal. Or people are training specifically for powerlifting or 
they just want to improve their kind of one rep max. Okay, so there are different goals, but what we're going to do is generalize. You're just looking to gain some strength. You're not training specifically for powerlifting, i.e. it's not a requirement to pause the bar on your chest, um, and or you're just looking to develop your chest muscles. Okay, so when we think about active range assessment here, it's actually a pretty simple thing to assess because there's only a couple of places where the wheels can fall off the wagon, so to speak. Okay. So the biggest thing that or the main place where people will be limited here will be in shoulder horizontal extension or horizontal abduction. Very simply what that actually means is if you put your hands into a bench press grip at the moment while you're sitting there or standing and you pull back as if you're doing a bench press, then you might find that you're not actually able to pull your hands all the way to your chest. Okay, and you can assess this by grabbing a brush stick, a broomstick, um, holding it in your bench press grip while standing up and pull it back towards your chest and see if with your bench press grip, you're actually able to pull it back to your chest. And then you'll kind of know where your active range sort of is. Okay, so it's a very easy assessment to run in that you're essentially removing gravity because that's the big problem. Some people will find that if they do this assessment when they're lying down on the bench, that they're able to get their arms down low enough to touch their chest. But what you have to realize is that gravity gravity is assisting you there in terms of pushing your hands down. So you want to be able to know that, or you want to know that you can pull your hands back with your own muscles. Because if you can pull your arms back and you're comfortable in that bottom range, you know that the muscles at the opposite side of the joint and within the joint that are responsible for managing that joint are able to tolerate loading in that position. Because if you're not able to pull back without load, then that tells you that you're then pushing into a range with weight that you may not be very well able to control. Okay? So that, that's a very simple kind of overview of how to look now, at the bench wait, press. Be, um, before you start going on with that, because I know people are going to listen to that and not fully grasp what you're saying, because there's two ways that you could do that assessment. Right, you can either do that assessment and just have this kind mm-hmm. of neutral flat spine, right? And I know you're going to get into it now in a second, but you can have this like neutral flat kind of spine where you're essentially just standing completely upright. Or if you're doing that assessment on the bench press, you're just lying completely flat down on the bench, right? And people will bring their arms back, right? And they'll be like, "Oh, I don't have this range of motion." However, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it, moving your spine essentially moves your chest is going to actually change that so if you're looking to apply that into your actual bench press you then have to arch like you will in in your bench press because that's obviously why people are arching in the first place to shorten that range of motion that's what you'll see people do as well they will shorten that range of motion that that maybe they don't have like they'll bring their, their chest up to the bottom of their active range of motion you know and the reason i i just want to point that out is because people will will do that assessment and i've seen them do it and they're like oh cool right it's like three inches off my chest that's that's my active range like i I don't have the ability to uh, bring my elbows out any further or even if i tucked them or i don't do anything weird with them like i can't bring my arms any further back so it's about three inches off my chest that's my my active range of motion right i don't have that that bottom position so i'm not going to do it but then you'll see them put that into practice and perform the bench press and they'll have this massive arch and they'll still come three inches off their chest. And it's like, you you have to practice how you play. So if you're going to assess, make sure you're assessing 
what you're actually assessing you know so i just wanted to point put that out there because i know you're going to touch on it but people listening to this again practice as you play yeah no i totally agree because like if you're not if you're if you're testing with it with a flat spine like you said it's it's not actually specific to the exercise at all it's not really informing you very much okay because when like you said if you start to arch your spine and you know this is where other variables come into it as well so let's actually just clear that up right if you have got if you have have number one a very thick rib cage if you've got a very thick rib cage and a very large sternum angle meaning that the front of your rib cage sticks out a lot like if you've got that big barrel chest kind of look on you um if you've got that then you are firstly you're you're in a better position to be able to number one the bench press be a really good fit for you but also, you know, be able to get down into the bottom of that bench press and touch your chest without much of an issue. And the second thing that comes into that, or, well, second and third thing, are number one, your ability to arch the spine. Okay, because if you're able to extend your spine, um, the thoracic and lumbar spine, if you're able to create that extension and create more of an arch, then you're not only shortening the range of motion by having the bar, you know, the bar has to travel through less space to get to your chest. What you're also doing is altering the actual pec mechanics, okay? So you're altering the site of origin of the muscle, which totally changes the way in which that muscle acts, chases its, changes its force production capabilities, and and changes the benefit you're going to get from the exercise, okay? So it, it, is, it is more than just range of motion that you need to be thinking about. And the third thing that kind of comes into that is your ability to, to retract your scapula. So if you're not able to retract your scapula very much, then you are not able to pull that shoulder joint down as far away from your rib cage, and hence you don't get the you're you're kind of not getting the same benefits as someone with a big rib cage. So if you're able to retract more, you're able to kind of simulate having a bigger rib cage, having a bigger sternum angle, and all of those variables do come into play. So this is why you typically see those stereotypical people who don't get much from a bench press being the taller, skinnier guys, low level of muscle mass, small, shallow rib cage, you know, they're kind of, they've got this, this really flat chest. You see those guys not being able to get as much from the bench press because maybe they don't have as much spinal extension. They've got a small rib cage, their sternum angle isn't very favorable. And then you have these people that will say that, they get more shoulder pain from the bench press. And when they come and touch their chest, they get shoulder pain. And it's like all these mechanical variables do come into play. And you do need to be thinking about what that actually means for your exercise selection. Okay. But in terms of assessment, you just need to make sure that you're standardizing those things. So obviously, like if we're talking about the bench press, you can't go and get a new rib cage. Sorry. Okay. What you can control is your retraction of the scapula and your extension of the spine to a degree. Okay, there's still going to be inter-individual variability there and a lot of it. Um, so when you're doing that assessment with the broomstick or even just with your hands, what you want to make sure is that you've got the same level of spinal extension and the same level of scapular retraction that you use when you actually do the exercise. Okay, and that might be difficult to visualize for some people. But basically, all you have to do is pull a broomstick back towards your chest and keep your body in the same position it would be when you do the bench press and you'll have a fairly good idea of what's comfortable okay some people will find especially if maybe you've had have a history of shoulder injuries on one side that it's it actually doesn't feel even either side and that that might be something you have to think about you know do you want to push one side beyond where it's comfortable going um 
for the benefit of the other side? Or would you rather stay in the range that you know you're in control of and then maybe choose some different exercises that have a unilateral component? Okay, so they're all things you can be thinking about. Um, so I suppose it is range of motion at the shoulder that is going to be the primary limiting factor for people if it is a limiting factor. Um, and this is also where I just want to address this because I think this gets lost in translation. So there, there is a, a benefit in terms of hypertrophy from loaded stretching. Okay, so there, there is research on that. And people always talk about how you want to be loading muscles in their extreme ranges to some degree to maximize hypertrophy. And that's fine. But if you're going to do that, you're probably better off choosing single joint exercises in which you have far more control over, you know, the load selection and of, the, of those extreme ranges of motion as opposed to complex exercises like a bench press. Okay, because there's a big discrepancy in the amount of force you can produce between the bottom of the bench press and the top of the bench press. And you just don't want to be going into a loaded stretch on an exercise that's supposed to be a heavier loading exercise for the majority of the range. So I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense, Paddy? Yeah. Yeah. With that as well, like it's either you have one or the other, you're either inappropriately loading your chest in terms of you're doing a bench press with a very, very light weight just for by, by virtue of you want to, you know, load the this very stretched position you know so you're either going to use a very light weight so you can overload this stretch position which again like you said i'd argue that going towards a more like single joint or more isolated whatever you want to call them if you want to call the bench press a compound movement going for more isolation movement and appropriately loading that stretch position or you can excessively load that stretch position and then appropriately load this kind of mid-range position because you can't have the two of them at the same time unless you are a fucking mutant and you have you know no disparity somehow in that stretch position and that mid-range position you know strength wise you know which is it's just not the case unless you've got some fucking weird weird stuff going on you know so you, you can't appropriately load that range because i know people do make that argument being like oh well you know you want to stretch the tissue and you want to get load through that and it's like okay well if you're going to do that appropriately then you're going to have to be benching like one plate because you know that 140 that you're benching is not loading that tissue appropriately at all you know and this actually with the the kind of stuff with like accommodating resistance you know bands change that kind of stuff people are like oh, that just makes the exercise easier, especially if you do like a reverse band thing. It's like you're actually making the exercise harder. Well, if you do it correctly, anyway. You're making the exercise harder because you're actually appro applying appropriate tension throughout the range rather than just having something like a bench press, which is just, you know, limited by that bottom position. Like you can definitely do like heavy supports with like fucking 40 kilos 50 kilos heavier than your current bench press. You can unrack that and maybe bring it down two or three inches and then pop it back up. And you're definitely getting some some training through that, you know, the, the chest with that kind of approach. However, you're not going to be able to keep going further down because you're essentially losing, we'll call it strength, just by virtue of the way the muscle is positioned, the, the anatomy of the muscle. So you aren't appropriately loading the tissue. You aren't giving it its maximum amount of stimulus. So someone who says, oh, like, bands make it easier especially reverse bands because that's always the argument and um, it's like you're actually just appropriately loading the tissue so i can i know i can handle heavier weights in this top position so i'm going to allow my my body handle those heavier weights and then as i bring it down you know the bands are going to give me some assistance so it's taking some of that tension off because you know my muscles aren't actually able 
to exhibit force in that position. Anyway, that was just a little rant. Yeah, no, you you are you are dead right, and it kind of comes back to just the idea of people wanting these kind of simple ways to understand everything. Like, I mean, it's like you know, if I ask you how much do you squat, and you give me the answer, well, I squat one forty with, but I use bands, and I, you know, the 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 weights reduced at the bottom, and then it's like, oh Jesus, I'm not able to kind of identify with my winner at max anymore. Where people want to just be able to say. I squat this and it's like, oh no, you squat this. And when they see people lifting heavier weights from one portion of the range and deloading, reducing the load using bands, then they're like, oh no, 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 that's just cheating. Whereas it's like, you're not actually looking at training for what training is supposed to be because there's some sort of adaptation that 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 person is looking for by using that. And they're looking at it from the perspective of the adaptation as opposed to just a tool that's being used at that one period in time okay so don't get too caught up with the tools and make sure that they are aligning with the actual the the goal of the exercise because man we're talking about the bench press and the amount of times i've heard people you know say oh i've i've got shoulder pain i've got shoulder pain but you know there's no way i'm i'm not bench pressing you know i've had that conversation with people in person i'm like you know, your your technique isn't great. You're doing ridiculous amounts of volume. Maybe you should pull back for a while. And they're just like, oh, no, it, I'm not changing my benching. Like, you know, what what exercise can I add in to fix this? And it's like, all right, well, if you're not willing to change, then you're not looking at the right things. So in terms of the bench press, there's, there's not too much else that can that can fall off the wagon in terms of you actually, like, being within your, beyond your range at any joint. Like, some people will fall into excessive wrist extension and get elbow pain as a result of that because they're not actually cognizant of what position their wrist is in. Um, so if your wrist is falling back into an extension, which means that it's falling back under the weight, what you want to focus on is shifting that that weight closer down towards the bottom of your hand. Okay, You don't want it sitting up in the top, in the middle or the top of your palm because that's going to push it backwards. And very often, some simple cueing to keep the knuckles towards the ceiling fixes that for people. Um, you may also get pain in the wrists or, or the elbows from other sources, like such as if, if you're taking a very wide grip sometimes, what you might find is that your wrist is pushed into too much radial deviation. And what that means is that your thumb side of your hand is sort of coming in towards your elbow. It's a difficult thing to visualize if you're on a podcast, but it's essentially the sideward movement of your wrist okay Paddy's making some gestures there in the video I wish I could say them but we won't but anyway um yeah so, so th- there are some things that can fall off there but look the biggest assessment for the bench press is to use that that broomstick assessment and that's going to sort out a lot of things for you um like that's that's most of it do you think there's anything else that should be covered there on this right touch on because you mentioned it there grip with right now just keep that in your head for a second but also I want to say because this is actually a really easy example to see how changes occur, right? So we've just said, you know, maybe you don't have the the ability to bring your arms back. You've, you've done it correctly. You've, you've done your little arch. You've done everything. And you're using the exact same method, you know, that you're, you're bench pressing in and that you're assessing in. They're the exact same. They look the exact same, right? And you do it and you know, your active range is an inch off your chest. So you're like, cool, I'm going to listen to these boys and start training that. 
And because they're listening to us, they get fucking massive. Not like us, because you know we're resistance training non-responders. But but they 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 get massive. They're like, oh, I'm getting fucking juicy. All the fields, chest, no fucking shoulder pain, nothing. Everything's just growing, right? However, as you grow, you also change stuff. So this is a really easy easy way to visualize it. Because imagine you just put an inch of muscle on your chest. You listen to us, and all of a sudden you're like. Phew, too easy fucking muscle is just packing on right so you get an inch on your chest well we'll say half an inch on your chest and you listen to our row stuff and our back stuff in a second and you put half an inch on your back as well right so does what does that change gary does that mean now that i'm actually able to come to my chest like what's going on yeah i remember actually i made a an infograph about the about this specific topic about a year ago and i was so proud of it i was like oh man this is cool like you know lovely vi- visualization and i'd say it got about fucking three likes because everyone was just like boring but anyway it's a good it's a good topic and it's a good thing to bring up because i think it's something a lot of people aren't aware of but as you build muscle your mechanics change that make and they essentially put you in a position to build more muscle okay so as you as you kind of said if you add more more thickness to your chest in the form of muscle mass then those fibers are then changing their orientation okay so the direction so their, their distance from from the joint if, if we think of it in terms of that is actually changing so it's actually a different way in which the fibers are pulling which makes you stronger and makes you more gives you greater potential to be able to lift or to be able to better control that bottom position because the mechanics of the joint has actually changed and this is an interesting thing as well because it's one of the reasons that cadaver studies do have their limitations because when researchers come up with you know rough estimations of what um, like moment arms within biological or within dead bodies are so the moment arms of certain muscle insertions in dead bodies what you have to remember is that firstly they're probably elderly people because they're dead and there's a greater chance that they're elderly people who have donated their their bodies. They were probably frail. They could be sarcopenic. They didn't have a lot of muscle mass. And also, they're dead bodies that have been dehydrated. Okay, so then they're not as hydrated as live bodies, and they're not storing as much muscle glycogen. So it's actually we actually don't really get a, a very accurate idea of what the muscle moment arms, the internal moment arms within the joints, actually are because of that. And that's not even relevant, but it's it's sort of relevant to this discussion in that the more muscle you build. The better, the better you are prepared to be able to do exercises like the bench press and to be able to get a lot of results out of them. And that's probably why there you will always have the advanced lifters saying, "Oh no, the bench press is always the best exercise." And then you've got beginners who have zero chest muscle, and they're like, "Oh, this doesn't work too well for me," because it is it is a different thing that's going on. Yeah, so sure. I just think people should be aware of that because you know it is one of those things. Like it's it's the same with all things. It's not just the chest. So do bear that in mind. Like your biomechanics. We'll, we'll call them that because I think that's a more of a, a catch-all term. Does change as you as you as you change as an individual. You know, like if you if you grow more muscle, like if you get the juiciest calves ever, and along with the juiciest hamstrings ever, like your squat mechanics are going to change because those two muscles are now going to come into contact. Like you see people and. They actually have they have so much muscle that they actually have an issue getting into that deep squat position, not because they have mobility restrictions, but because, you know, their hamstring is like covering their calf. And it's like, oh, there's I can't go any further. Like there's literally like it's imagine you're trying to close uh, a book on a ball or a tennis ball or whatever. Like it just 
you, you can't go any further with that joint, even though the actual joint itself has more range available to it. And that's also, you know, why fucking power lifters and stuff get that big gut because it does help with like a squat or even a deadlift or whatever, you know, because you, you're essentially trying to close that hinge, that hip uh, joint, and there's something in the way that wants to push it back out, you know? So you're... Your anthropometry, no, you're not your anthropometry. Your, your, yeah, fuck your anthropometry does change over time and does then influence your, your mechanics as a whole. So you may do an assessment when you're 16 and go, there, an inch off my chest. But then you've done two things that could potentially change it. You've built muscle and you've got stronger, right? So you may be stronger now in that bottom position. You may be stronger now in your ability to actually uh, bring the arms back, bring that elbow back, and therefore you're actually able to do a quote-unquote full range uh, bench press. You know, so it, it does change over time. So it's a little bit hard to contextualize something that is a a moving goalpost, so to speak. You know, but once you understand what's going on and what's playing into it, you can better make assessment strategies and then change things based on what's going on. Right. So. That's it. That out of the way. Get on to grip width with this, and then we can kind of move on to a more of a, an overhead stuff. Because obviously, the the incline kind of falls in between those two things, and probably is realistically more like a bench press than the overhead press. But anyway, go on. Yeah, sweet. And and just just to close off on the bench press as well, a lot of people seem to think that like we're automatically against touching your chest in the bench press because we talk about it, and it's like. Not at all. Like, I'm not saying that. Like, a lot of people can very easily touch their chest in the bench press, and it is not a problem. The only reason we flag it up and the reason we make sure you actually assess these things is because there are a lot of people that are not getting a lot from the exercise or certain exercises and or in pain, and it's not right that we just give a sweet ball statement for everyone. But anyway, the shoulder press. Today, Wait, before yeah, we go sure. on to that, go on, go on to grip width in the bench press because people oh, yeah. are then going to do like a, a closer grip bench press or we'll call it a powerlifting grip bench press where their, their elbows are coming at that, that kind of 45 degree angle to the body and then this more bodybuilding bench press, which we'll, we'll just say for argument's sake, 90 degrees to, to the body. So does that change our overall mechanics and our assessment strategy? Because obviously that's going to change muscle recruitment like that people even if you're new in the gym like you kind of intuitively understand that you're like oh i bring my grip in and all of a sudden i'm feeling my triceps that bit more you know so is that also a very a viable method to take some tension off the shoulders because i know a lot of powerlifters will do that as well they'll say oh if i go for a wider one i'm stronger like i can use my chest more but my shoulders get fucking chewed up so I go for a slightly closer grip. So, so talk me through that guy. What's going on there? Yeah. So like, like you can, this, this can, this can kind of go both ways. Like the reason a lot of people will feel more triceps very often when they do a close grip bench press is because they're still coming down to the same position on their chest. They tuck the elbows more. And then when, when they do that, they get more elbow flexion, which means that at the bottom of the exercise, your elbows more bent than it normally would be the triceps are in more of a lengthened range and you're also kind of changing the moment arm to the elbow joint so it's changing some things and generally a close grip bench press is going to make people feel like they feel more triceps however 
some people might not, you might not always find that's the case. And that's generally when people will bring, like if you bring the bar really low on your chest and you use a close grip and your elbows are right by your sides, sometimes you might not even feel that's hammering your triceps as much as it theoretically should. And you might find your shoulders working a little bit more then because you kind of almost turn it into like, almost like a front raise, you could say. Um, so, but, but generally, yeah, you will, generally you'll get a little bit more triceps with a closer grip. Um, and generally you'll get a little bit more chest with a wider grip. But I was actually having this chat, this discussion with a client this morning because when he first started with me, I told him that I wanted him to use a bit of a wider grip and flare out his elbows a little bit more because he couldn't really feel his chest on the bench press. He'd never really felt his chest working before. He had a general hypertrophy goal. So that was appropriate for him. As time went on, you know, started to get more out of his chest exercises and stuff. And he really wanted to improve his bench prep, bench press one rep max. And he asked me this morning, I um, I actually feel stronger now. I want to use a slightly closer grip. Um, do you think I should swap to that or should I still stick with the wider grip? And it really does come down to your goal because what you have to think about is that he said that when he uses a closer grip, he's able to lift more weight. So there's a trade-off there. So you're changing the way in which the pec is recruited. So there might be less relative contribution of the pec with a new grip. But because the weight is heavier, there's also more absolute load to be distributed. So he might still be using his pecs just as much. So that's why like grip width isn't always that black and white. And I would generally say to people, pick a grip width that is most comfortable to you because that's generally going to sort you out. Like unless you're doing it for a very, like if you're deliberately saying that you want to build up your triceps more and you want to use a bench press variation that's going to maximize the work of the triceps, then a close grip variation is a good option. Um, but it's, it's just about keeping your goal in context and generally choosing a grip that's most comfortable for you is going to be best because you can argue that, you know, a wider grip with the el- with the shoulders really flared out is going to be, or the elbows flared out to 90 degrees, like you said, that that might be best for the chest. But what you also have to realize is that it requires a lot of skill to control that position. Your anatomy may not, you know, make that a favorable, favorable position for you. So it's, it's not something I would be telling everyone to do at all. Um, but it's not, it's not like one of these positions either that if you go there, your shoulders are dead. You may as well just get them operated because that's, that's a lot, an idea that's been around for a long time where like, if you put your shoulders out at 90 degrees of abduction, like you're just going to hurt yourself. Whereas that doesn't happen a lot of the time, especially with dumbbells. Um, but yeah, does that answer, do you think that that makes sense? People should be able to understand what the influence of their grip width has on their exercise selection and this is actually also pertains to the overhead press the shoulder press whatever fuck you want to call it uh, which we'll get onto now so obviously you know changing your grip in that exercise is going to influence things as well but talk me through the assessment strategy from start to finish this overhead press movement mm-hmm. yeah so when it comes to the when it comes to the overhead press I suppose that the first thing to start with, there's kind of two pieces to the assessment here. The first one is simply put your hand in front of you, raise it up over your head. If you can't get up overhead, you're not doing an overhead press, honey. All right. Because <laughs> so many people just jump into a barbell overhead press in standing without actually assessing this at all. And then you'll see them do things like extending their spine, arching back, you know, sticking their chest up loads because that tells you that they probably didn't have that joint range available in the first place and they're just forcing an exercise upon themselves when they don't actually 
they're not ready for it. Okay, so there are prerequisites. So that's your step one. Raise your arms up in front of you as if you're in the top position of an overhead press and see if you're able to control that. So if you're not able to maintain that top position, you know, without any load, then do you really want to go putting 60, 70, 80, 200 kilos if you're if you're weak? <laughs> do you want to put 200 kilos over your head? Like, absolutely not. It's probably not a great idea because adding lots and lots of force to a joint range that you don't even have without weight is generally not a good idea for health. Okay, and that's just health. So, so, so with, with that assessment there, Gary, what, what are they going to see go wrong? Because I know a lot of people, like I've got people that do this and they're like, yeah, look, my arms are perfectly overhead, you know, and they don't look at, like they look at the shoulder relative or they look at the arm overhead relative to their head position, right? And like you said, like you already, you already did mention what's going to go wrong, but what are they looking for? It's obviously this, this core movement, something's going on at the spine you know, where they may arch the spine to make it look like they have that, that overhead position. But is there anything else going on? Like just discuss that. What, what, what's breaking down? Yeah. So if you, if you don't have a trainer, like we're basically teaching you how to train yourselves here, but if you don't have a trainer, what you can do is put your back against the wall, flatten, like tighten down your abs and you want to feel like your back is in contact with the wall throughout. Okay. And then what you want to do is raise your hand up overhead and see how, see how high you can basically get. What you can do if you want is take a picture from the side, put it on a timer, see how high you can go, and then build your exercises from there. Because that's going to essentially show you, you know, where the top of your range actually is. And that's a good starting point. But what you might also find is that in that top position, your shoulder maybe might rotate in one position. Okay, so what you have to be thinking about is what position am I going to be in when I do this exercise at the top? So your palms are generally going to be facing forward. And you want to go up overhead and see if you can actually get into that position comfortably because you may not be able to. So what you can actually do from there is turn that assessment into your second assessment and essentially go to that top position. And then essentially, if you, if you can get up overhead, right, if you can get up overhead, you can touch the wall behind you. Then what you want to do is emulate like a dumbbell shoulder press, because let's just say you're using dumbbells to start. So emulate a dumbbell shoulder press. It's called a wall slide. You can look it up online. See if you can maintain your elbows and your hands in contact with the wall throughout, okay? And what you might find is that at the bottom, it's gen- it can be difficult for some people because they mightn't have the external rotation at the shoulder to be able to stay there, okay? So let's say you just do those two things, those two assessments. So you start off by arms overhead, and then you bring the arms down. You do that, that wall slide. Where do you actually go if you find you're not able to maintain those positions? So where it'd be going from there is realizing that if you're not, if you're not able to do it totally overhead, then what are the variations you can put into play? So you could do, like I, I give this to a lot of people, I give them a 75 degree dumbbell shoulder press. And I don't know if all the seats are 75 degrees, but rather than sitting totally upright when you're doing your shoulder press, what you can do is put the bench at 75 degrees, the, the anterior delts, the shoulder muscles that you're looking to work, they're still primarily on top of the joint. So it's not going to really change the recruitment, okay? It's just changing the actual angle. And then what you could do, like we're not really getting in, in, into it in this one, is you could just practice getting into that range and try and improve that range over time, get a bit more control. But that's for another podcast. But that, that's the primary assessment there that you're going to be using. And, and what influence, like you did touch on it there because you, you, know, you use the arms overhead and then the, the wall slide. Like what influence does 
your grip width have on this? Because I'm thinking more specific to, you know, an, an overhead press with a barbell, because that's what people kind of think of when they think of overhead press. They're like, oh, a dumbbell seated shoulder press, you know, ah, like it, that's grand. Fuck it. Everyone can do that. And I actually think a lot of people change the mechanics of their exercise. Well, their body changes the mechanics of that exercise so that they can do it more efficiently. And what I mean by that is they'll just arch their spine up fucking loads. They'll scooch themselves forward in that seat so their their bum is just on the edge of the seat. And it's basically just they're, they're, they've pinned their scapula into that position uh, against the bench, but they actually have this huge arch, you know? So like it, it, it is working where they think it's working, even though the seat, they set up the seat incorrectly. Like their body knew the position that it had available to it and then it changed itself to get into that kind of 75 degree range that you're you're talking about, you know. But the overhead press, if you do it standing, you know, two feet, like a, a military style press, you know, feet like beside each other uh, or you do it, you know, one foot behind the other kind of in that like almost lunge kind of position uh, or staggered position, whatever you want to call it. What effect does this grip width have on it so are we doing a wall slide here do i always bring the elbows down and bring essentially the bar to my upper chest or what if i bring you know a closer grip one and i'm just doing like a a kind of we'll call it a an eye weight or eye raise or a y raise you know what, what what's going on here so where, where should i grip the bar gary yeah so i think a good starting point for most people is just outside shoulder width it's a good starting point because what a lot of people do on the overhead press is that they, they totally cheat, like in terms of like they let a lot of passive structures do the work because you'll see a lot of people use a really narrow grip, like like at or just inside shoulder width. And then when you come down to the bottom, they kind of rest on their clavicles. And what you'll find is that there's a lot of soft tissue contact between your biceps and your forearms, especially if you have any bit of arm muscle. Like I don't, so I don't get any soft tissue contact, but you'll find that soft tissue contact is there. And what you'll also find is that most, like a lot of people are not very well able to hold that position at the bottom with sufficient pronation, meaning that if you don't have a bar, like if you don't have a bar in your hands, if you, if you come to the bottom of an overhead press position with your hands narrow, try and actually get into that position comfortably. What you'll find is that your wrists automatically want to turn in. So your palms are going to want to touch, come towards each other. And what that is reflected as then when you actually do the exercise is that rather than being able to push straight up in front of you, the elbows immediately flare out. So you see that all the time. So people come down to the bottom, they bounce, they don't have the wrist range of motion available. So the elbows flare out and the first six, eight, ten inches until they're over their head, that first part of the range of motion is all just kind of momentum out of the bottom and they're not actually using much you know, active muscle contraction to really control it. Okay. So that, that's for that reason, a lot of the time when I get people to start doing an overhead press, I'll tell them to come to chin level, let's say chin level, nose level, eye level depend depends on the person, but let, let's say just chin level, because the, what that does is teaches you how to really control that range. Because, you know, especially if you're, if you've never been into any sort of joint ranges of motion, like that that are in the towards the the extremes before under a lot of load that bottom position when the bar is on your clavicle it might be might kind of aggravate your shoulders it mightn't feel very comfortable so that's kind of what i would be doing there so just outside shoulder shoulder width is a good good starting point for people 
see if you can see if you can control it and as always just stay in control throughout the range and you also mentioned it there and like we did actually well i did actually mention it before in that smaller kind of episode episodes that we do with the the chin up you know people when you put your arm overhead like you may not even have that degree like you you try get like say the this really close grip and you don't even have that degree of you know pronation and it's like people bring their arms overhead and they're like oh you're not allowed to flare your elbows so they're in this kind of position where they're they're trying to keep their elbows pointed forwards but they're not their elbows they're yeah their elbows pointed forwards but their their arms their, their hands even don't have that you know wrist positioning there so would that be something that you'd be looking into assessing and if so you know would something like i don't know like a football bar or you know some sort of i don't know bar with neutral grip uh, be a better option for a lot of people yeah like the the wrist is the wrist is actually probably more of a limiting factor to a lot of upper body exercises than a lot of people appreciate and when i say the wrist we're talking about the radio ulnar joint because it's pronation pronation and supination take place there and i think they're actually the cause of a lot more problems than people identify because they're always like oh it's the elbow's fault it's the shoulder's fault whereas what you re- don't realize is that the wrist can be very in control of your elbow position during during exercises um so it's definitely something that you should be looking at and that's why i like i like a lot of people to kind of just use dumbbells for overhead pressing pressing variations because you know if, if someone it just gives you that freedom of being able to control your individual wrist position because like a lot of people have you know as kids they fractured their their ulnar they fractured their radius or something along those lines and you'll find that some people just just are really restricted in in those ranges um i know, I know one guy that literally had about 50 percent pro pronation and it's like how, how are we going to go and, and do barbell exercise with you like it's not happening so you have to be to be thinking about those things for sure that's perfect now as you mentioned this and that we're getting towards the end of this kind of pressing stuff uh the wrist right this this is a bold shout however it applies to me so i'm gonna fucking make the shout anyway like if you have big hands right holding a barbell may not be the the best way for you to exhibit force right so imagine you had something like a toothpick and you were trying to put all your your force through a toothpick right you know the weight was the same it's the strength whatever fucking whatever you know that's all the same but you're trying to put all that force through this little thin thing right it's going to be a lot harder and like you mentioned earlier on with the bench press you know stuff like not being able to put that weight correctly in your hands you know keeping it you know the knuckles stacked up because you're essentially you you don't feel this barbell in your hand your hands are like double wrapped around the barbell right so you're you're, you haven't got this ability to grip and like you said as well you know people the the wrists are more of a limiting factor oftentimes for people what i've had really good success with both in my own training and training other people who have we'll call them bigger hands generally it's the the taller side of people so people i'm just going to arbitrarily say over six foot or something you know you know not having this arbitrary attachment to a barbell and going for something like a, a a fatter implement like you know you may in your gym have access to you know a kind of axle bar or if you don't you know maybe you have access to a fat grip you know putting that on something like a a dumbbell shoulder press or a, a bench press or your pressing exercises can oftentimes allow you to exhibit force better because you're actually able to first of all grip the barbell like you're supposed to supposed to be able to do and then also set it up 
better for stacking that risk. Is that something that you would agree with, Gary, or something that you would, you know, call bullshit on? Yeah, no, I actually do totally agree, totally agree with you because like hand size actually does vary hugely, especially if you look between a tall male and a small female, you know, like your your hands could easily be like twice the size of a small 50 kilo female's hands like so it is very and they're like twice the size of your hands so what you're saying they actually are close to twice the size of mine i'd say but it it does make it it does make it very different you know that you're 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 experiencing force through a much smaller relative area of your hand which makes it which, which makes it feel like there's far more pressure and you kind of have to 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 balance to balance a, a small object there in your hand a little bit more than someone who has their whole hand taken up by a barbell where it's easier to grip your muscles are kind of more in their their mid range, so to speak. So you could argue that it's much easier to just to just grip that rather than having your whole hand around the bar like you would. Um, but you you hook grip everything anyway, so you can lift about five hundred kilos. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but also, we should apply, say that as well. That does also apply to the the small female or the small male, yeah. like you said. Uh, if you have these like little fucking tiny hands, you know, doing something like we're going to get onto in a second, like a pulling exercise, it's going to be fucking torture for you. You know, you're not going to be able to get your hands around that that barbell, you know, fully. You're not going to be, like, I can literally double wrap my hand around that barbell. Like, that's nothing's falling out of my grip. Like, nothing, you know? Whereas if you have this smaller hand and you can just barely touch your fucking index finger and your thumb together on that barbell, you know, you're going to have a bad time holding stuff, you know? So, obviously, that kind of stuff does apply to your your overall considerations and your assessment of exercises you know right so let's kind of wrap up that the pressing stuff right uh in the bench press in the overhead press and all the other ranges in between what we're looking at is the shoulder and the elbow kind of position but that's also the kind of the wrist position right so talk us through you're just assessing someone. You want to know what kind of pressing they can do. We're doing two, maybe three assessments. What are we doing? Go. For overhead pressing just, yeah? All, all pressing. You're just like, I want to know your pressing capabilities. So we're getting like a broomstick. What are we doing? So firstly, assess someone's overhead range of motion. Put the, arm, put the arms overhead. See where they can get to because shoulder flexion is a very basic assessment to do. Okay? Put the arms overhead. See what you can do do a wall slide straight away boom two assessments done and then do your broomstick assessment for the bench press they, those three will tell you a lot of things you know straight away cool and then you're going to look at your your wrist in that in those exercises as you go about them because again as we said you may not have that wrist pronation in the overhead position you may not have you know that wrist pronation in that closer grip bench press you know there, there's stuff going on there at the wrist that's going to influence down the chain i suppose right so i think that gives people a good idea with a theoretical framework to look at how they should press and that also obviously applies to a dip and stuff obviously there's a little bit more going on because the the scapula are kind of freer and you're trying to work the the chest um but let's move on to the the pulling stuff right so on to the pulling stuff now i think a lot of people tend to give a lot less attention to thinking about how they set up their pulling exercises because it's kind of just error sure load the weight on and pull it and see what happens you know a lot of people kind of have that approach with chin-ups pull downs that sort of stuff and it's probably also why a lot of people don't really feel like their back muscles get a lot out of the exercises that they do because they just kind of pull 
and there's not a whole pile going on. So step one, we're going to talk about talk about pull down and hence, obviously, like pull up and chin up variations fit into this. So we'll talk about a pull down variation. Okay. So the first thing you want to assess when it comes to a pull down is actually very similar to an overhead press. So you want to very simply lift your hand up over your head and firstly when you get to the top position right you want to see all right how how high up over my head can i get and then the second thing you want to see is what wrist position are you able to maintain okay so you know a lot of people will say things like oh you need to do underhand grip uh, if you want to get the most out of your lats or your lower lats or whatever and that's actually a position that a lot of people don't have great ownership of and again it's just something you need to assess so when you get into that top position see if you're able to put your hands forward you probably will be able to see if you can put your hands neutral so that that's that's generally the easiest one for most people and then see if you can put your palms facing backwards okay so that's that's that supinated position and you'll find that that's quite demanding yet a lot of people will try and do chin-ups on a straight bar without doing any preparation for that and then you might be wondering you know why your wrist why your elbow might not be feeling so good during those exercises but it's not just about injury. It's not just about not being prepared for the range of motion. It's also about, you know, thinking about what you're trying to achieve from the exercise. So, for example, if your goal is to keep your elbows really, you know, along the sides of your body, you're trying to, you know, get a lot out of the lats that way. Like, if that's your goal, that's your, your goal execution, then you do have to be very aware of the wrist range of motion that you have available because it's going to be quite difficult to maintain that position if you don't have the wrist range of motion available for example if you're if you're doing a pronated grip with your hands facing forward and you're keeping your elbows close that's actually quite difficult to do so part one of the assessment shoulders overhead part two of the assessment check your range of motion at the wrist see if you can go forward see if you can go backwards and then what what you want to do is simulate the type of pull down that you're doing so let's say you're doing a supinated grip, i.e. underhand grip, palms facing back towards your face. You're doing that sort of grip on a pull down. What you want to do is then pull down, replicate the lift, simulate it, pretend you're doing it, and see if you feel any restrictions at any point in the range. What you'll probably feel is that your palms want to turn forward at the top. Okay, you mightn't feel very comfortable up there. So then you might want to say, all right, you know, do I want to change my wrist position? Or do I want to maybe not go up as high at the top? So they're just some things to start thinking about. Um, anything to add there to those bits? Yeah, and what you'll see people do as well to modify the exercise to their own bodies, like with the bench press and stuff, you will see people kind of arch back or lean back just that little bit, right? So they'll, they'll obviously modify that position, which both takes away some of that demand in that overhead position to have that ability to supinate so they're not they're, they're they're essentially in this kind of 75 degree angle you know with it with their body uh so that they don't actually have to bring their arms overhead you know so if you if you are doing that and you're using that exercise to get we'll, we'll say a stretch on that top position you know strengthen that kind of stretched position you know maybe that modifying your exercise that way isn't a good idea you know however if you're like no, I actually just want to overload the lats in ranges that I have available to me. You know, maybe that is a good decision to kind of lean back into the exercise. What you also need to do with the the lat pull down or anything like that is like with the, the shoulder press, 
you know, assess that bottom position as well. Because what you'll see a lot of people do is that that internal rotation at the shoulder. And, you know, they'll be like, oh, well, I got my elbows back, you know, and that's that's what we're looking at. And it's like, yeah, you brought your elbows back, but you went far beyond the, the range that your, your lats are essentially working and other structures have to start taking over. So, you know, if you're noticing at the end of your, your set of whatever it is, chin-ups, pull-downs, fucking whatever, that kind of, we'll call it overhead kind of, range if you're noticing your traps are fucking pumped to bits you know so- something's probably gone wrong would you agree with that gary if you're what did you say if your lats are pumped to bits in what no if you're if your traps oh, are pumped yeah. to bits in that kind of fucking chin up or you know lap pull down exercise you know obviously something's gone wrong there would you agree with that yeah I, I, it's 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 kind of funny you'll know it when you see it because it's like people pull down and then suddenly their head goes forward and their shoulders come up. I think I think Mark O'Dwyer calls it um, the pigeon poker pull up when it in relation to pull ups. But it's kind of it's kind of a similar thing that you'll see on the pull down because it actually like it's it's difficult to to visualize when I'm saying it, but it it changes the mechanics of the shoulder if you pull the shoulder forward and reduces the load on the lats or any of the shoulder extensors if you dip those shoulders forward at the bottom of, of the exercise, which is probably also why a lot of people feel that. They get more shoulder extensor, lats, teres, major, etc. They get more out of out of those muscles when they lean back a little bit, and you see that on on EMG studies and all that. But like, you know, it's, that's that's a thing for another time. I think some people get too caught up in the whole, oh, what's the best lap pull down? And then they're like, oh, this EMG study said if you lean back fifteen degrees, and it's like, all right, just just think about it on an individual basis, okay? This is why we're having this discussion. But so. That is one of the compensation compensation that you will see. Um, I'm trying to think. There was something else I wanted to say there. Um, oh yes, the other thing, and this is something that I think is a little bit more controversial, not in a kind of all oh, we're conspiracy theorist way, but in a like I I don't think a lot of people appreciate this, but a lot of people, you know, when you when you do chin ups or when you do pull downs, for example. A lot of people will suggest that you retract and depress your scapula, you know, hard at the top position. So when you're in that top position, you need to be maintaining your shoulders locked down. And sometimes that's fine. As in, like, if you're leaning back slightly and you're doing a wider grip, that's going to be appropriate. But if you're doing a narrower grip, like a neutral grip pull down or a chin up, that's not always appropriate because you're changing, you're going against the way the shoulder want to mo- wants to move because to get your arm fully overhead, what you need is your scapula and your hum- your humerus to be moving together, okay? Because your scapula has to actually elevate and laterally rotate to a degree for your shoulder to, to get into its full fully flexed or fully abducted position. So if you think about what that looks like, okay, because it's it, joint, joints are not just one bone moving on the other, okay? So the other bone can move on, on, on the bone too. Okay, so they are related. So if you have your shoulder fixed, let's say you're at the top position, you're dead hanging from a pull up, for example. And then what you do is you pull that scapula down hard. So you pinch your shoulder blades down and back. What happens is you catch that scapula, you you immediately rotate it. Okay, and what that does is if you were to simulate it the opposite way, it would be the same as me catching your hand in an overhead position and shoving it way beyond what it's actually capable of getting to. And when you say it like that, that doesn't sound like it's a it's a good idea. So th- this is what you have to be thinking about in relation to the scapula, um, because this is advice that I would have given probably 
three years ago as well. And then I remember we wrote a post on it before saying that, all right, this is actually probably not the best advice. So you don't want to be always thinking about shoving the scapula down at the bottom position. So when you get to the, when you get to the top and you're about to pull, think of the scapula and the shoulders moving together. Okay. So if you're thinking about pull it, pulling the weight down slightly and you're leaning back, then you start to pinch those shoulder blades back together. And it's just something worth being mindful of because a lot of people feel like they don't have a lot of control in that top position. And sometimes that can be because you're jamming your shoulder beyond what it's capable of. But that's a difficult thing to describe in a podcast. So that probably makes no sense. I think people will be able to kind of hopefully visualize that a little bit. Okay, so in that overhead range, we're looking at the ability to have that overhead position. So it's kind of the same as your overhead press type stuff. Uh, You're then looking at how the shoulders are moving, we'll say, how the scapula are moving throughout that range, and especially when you get to that bottom position, what's going on? Maybe stopping at your chin is appropriate for you, given the I don't know the length of your arm or something, you know, and then trying to arbitrarily get that the bar down or your chest to the the bar, get get get, get that bar to your sternum, say, is maybe inappropriate for you. It may even be inappropriate to get it to the the top. Of, of your chest so again assessing what goes on in that bottom position what's what's kind of moving there is probably a good idea and then obviously all that overhead stuff as well so you're essentially looking at the two two end ranges of motion we'll say you know do you have that ability in the overhead position to actually you know be in that overhead position and then what happens as you bring your arms down and again some of these are easy fixes and some of these are things that people naturally fix themselves like we said earlier on you know you might lean back a little bit and then all of a sudden all these issues are kind of gone and and then some of them are kind of like oh like this is the nitty-gritty like we really need to fine-tune your 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 stuff and as you said as well you mentioned it you know grip width obviously affects things this is a common enough question. I know you, you did touch on it and that you didn't want to kind of discuss it, but if I do a wider grip lap pull down or I do a closer grip lap pull down versus a, a neutral grip lap pull down versus an underhand grip lap pull down, obviously they are working different things. Yes? Yeah. So the the yeah, so if you think about it, even if you take the muscles out of the equation, a lap pull down with a wide grip is primarily an adduction movement so you're you're primarily kind of adducting the shoulders which is which is a function of the lats so you're pulling your elbows kind of down towards your sides and like yeah you are pulling back but there is more adduction there versus a neutral grip pull down or a a, a supinated pull down where your hands are in front of you and you notice that the elbows are kind of pulling down directly in front of you so that will for sure change the way in which the muscles are working like the lats and the teres major still going to be the primarily primary shoulder extensors like if you're to look at it from a hypertrophy perspective maybe you'll see some differences in regional hypertrophy but i don't think that's something you need to be worrying about at all generally with pull down variations um i actually have people like do the same one for long periods of time just because generally what you'll find is there's one that feels really good to you like the neutral grip pull down suits a lot of people especially if you're if you're not not the really close v-bar but the neutral grip one that's about shoulder width if you use that like there's virtually no one that's not going to be able to get into those positions and control it really well so like i'll have people do that for multiple training phases in a row without much of a change just because like i don't think there's a massive benefit to swapping your pull-down variations all the time because like 
you're most of the time you're just changing your hand position like your elbow and shoulder position might change slightly as, as a result but i don't think it's making a meaningful difference to your gains at all like i would say that maybe every once in a while if you're always doing neutral grip or if you're always doing wide grip you want to include an opposite one just so maybe you're working your shoulder your actual shoulder joint through those ranges of motion but i don't th- i don't think pull down variations are that different that people need to dwell on it too much that's fair enough right let's get into this row type deal because this is actually an easy enough one a quick enough one i think because there's actually not a huge amount that you can do wrong with this however obviously depending on what type of row is so maybe we'll do something like i don't know a seated row with the chest supported a dumbbell row and then like a, a bent over row because there's a few different things and that kind of covers all the stuff that could be going on assessment wise you know and then we can somewhat discuss kind of grip width on that anyway go okay yeah so when it comes to rows like you can't really get too much wrong like in terms of actual range of motion assessment um because it's it's just not very complicated the exercises are kind of a a small enough range as well to a degree but basically with a row you are starting in a position with your where your arms are in front of you. Generally, they're right out in front of you. Okay, so what you want to think there is like, is there going to be much of a limiting factor to my range of motion there? So generally, not really. But if you think about a barbell row, all right. So you've got a barbell row. Your hands are over the bar. What I want you to do is put your hands out in front of you as you're watching this podcast. Think as if you're what you're you're doing a barbell row. Now look at the position that a lot of people try to row the bar. Okay, so they try to keep their elbows close to their body so that their lats do more work and it's more purely shoulder extension. Okay, and if you do that, what you actually need to do is rotate your elbow pits up towards the ceiling. So put your biceps towards the ceiling. Now try and keep your hands in that position. What you'll find is that you get a little bit of tension around the back of the elbow, maybe the middle of the elbow, because it's actually kind of, it's difficult to maintain that pronated position with an arrow grip. You might be able to do it easier with with a wider grip, maybe not, because generally the wider grip that you use, the less you're trying to keep the elbows in towards your sides. Okay, so there are some things to think about to start with. Um, we'll just start with the barbell because it's a good framework to work from. So if you're doing a really narrow grip and you're trying to keep the elbows in, in towards your sides, that might be a limiting factor. Okay, then when you think about an underhand grip, because a lot of people will use an underhand grip because they feel like it works their lats better. Again, you might not be able to actually keep your hands in that position throughout the range which may present some some challenges at the elbow joint and the thing is all this isn't about making you out to be some fragile person that can't handle different exercises it's actually about saying that well there's options there so why subject yourself to something that's uncomfortable when there's something more comfortable to do you know so if you're if you're finding that like if the barbell row feels perfect to you by all means like go ahead with it you use a regular barbell but what you can do instead, like if you find that your wrist is kind of a bit of a limiting factor, you're not able to control the shoulders too well because your wrists just aren't comfortable, then what you can do is, firstly, a, a, good, a good tip to use if you really want to use a barbell is either use like a football bar, which is they kind of have either like they have multiple handles across this kind of rectangular block on the bar that are sometimes angled, sometimes vertical. That's a really good option. Or what you can do is use attachable handles. So if you've got detachable like row handles that you would use for like a cable pull down, 
what you can do is actually attach them to the bar and that makes for a beautiful rowing exercise especially if it's like chest supported and you're actually stable and you're not just swinging weights around the place um but alternatively you can swap to dumbbells because dumbbells gives your elbows uh, gives your wrists essentially freedom of movement meaning that you can put your elbows at whatever angle to your body that you want without your wrists being too much of a limiting factor okay like most row machines are not too problematic i will generally tell pretty much everyone to do a neutral grip meaning that your thumbs are up towards the ceiling when you're gripping it because often what you'll have on a lot of plate loaded rows is the option to do that or an option to have a slightly wider grip with your with your palms facing down a pronated grip but what you have to realize there is that you're generally not training as specific to the lats because you're pulling out a little bit more and because that that's generally required there um so yeah generally neutral grip variations are what i would be looking for when it comes to rows that's why you see most people when they do dumbbell rows they automatically revert to having that kind of neutral grip because it's more comfortable and because it makes it easier to kind of recruit the lats um so like they're the main things for the row the only other thing i would say is that when it comes to rows what a lot of people will do is try and pull back as far as they possibly can and what you have to realize is that once your arm comes back behind the body what ends up happening is your lats can no longer produce quite as much force because they have a pulley system around the rib cage. So the lats wrap around the rib cage and they have a really nice internal pulley system that makes them more effective at producing force. So when you come back behind the body, you lose that. So you lose that pulley system and you don't have the lats there to produce as much force anymore. So if you're really jerking into that range, you might find that maybe it's not very comfortable or you're just not able to control it. Um, so that's something worth thinking about. That makes sense. And um, a common one you see as well with the with any kind of row as well is that internal rotation at the shoulder, which we did cover with regards to the, the kind of overhead stuff as well. But you'll see people complain of like anterior delt pain in a row. You know, it, like, is there some way of assessing that? Is there, well, not assessing that, dealing with that, I suppose. Um, and is there a more optimal position to row to and what i mean by that is you know elbows out versus that 45 degree versus that like elbows by your side and aiming for your navel type deal is that actually effective uh or is it just kind of stunting yourself for no extra growth you know yeah so so what patty's talking about there primarily is the compensation where your shoulder kind of tips forward. So the front of your shoulder tips forward, you'll feel a little bit of tension on the front of the joint. And it's like, I generally refer to it just anterior translation of the shoulder. I remember I said that to Tom Purvis, I asked him some question about anterior translation when you see it happen, something along those lines. And he gave me the response that, oh, you can see that happen, can you? Some smart answer because he thought thinks he's smarter than everyone else. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, the anterior translation of the shoulder, um it will, you're you're essentially seeing the front of the joint tip forward a little bit and you'll see that a lot on rows and you're you'll see the shoulders kind of rise up towards your ears as well you're kind of in that shrugging position okay so what you'll find is that if you pull back in that position very difficult to contract your lats okay so what you want to be trying to maintain is that more retracted and depressed position of the scapula if you want to get the most from the lats um so in terms of fixing that like the biggest thing you want to be focusing on is like cueing so actually being aware 
that it is a thing you need to focus on, keeping your shoulders in that position throughout. And what you'll often find is that you might be pulling too far. So if, if for example, you might be doing some sort of dumbbell row variation and be- because you have dumbbells and you have freedom, you want to pull as far as you possibly can and pull the elbows back. And that's generally when you'll see that compensation. So if you simply try and pull a little bit less far, bad English, but pull your elbows back to the sides of your body, you're generally going to see that fix itself as long as you're still conscious of keeping the shoulder blades back and down. Makes sense, Gary. You're a smart boy. So anything else with regards to that kind of rowing? Because I think people now have a at least a theoretical framework in terms of if they listen to the first episode, they have an ability to assess the squat kind of pattern. They have an ability to assess the, the hinge kind of pattern. And they then have an ability to assess the the press pattern both in we'll say a horizontal and a vertical uh, movement and then they also have the same framework for a pull pattern in a horizontal and vertical movement like obviously we could get into fucking really minutiae with regards to other joints and other stuff and but i think that gives people a lot of theoretical framework at least it gives them an ability to you know, start thinking about exercise a little bit deeper than, oh, you must squat to, I don't know, build your legs, or you must deadlift, you must do this. And it's like both those exercises and your body aren't necessarily built to work with each other, you know? Like I always think like deadlift is one that's like, it's so strange that, you know, even even theoretically, like the, the bench press, you you have a range of motion where, you know, you're limited, like you can actually see everyone is limited by their own biomechanics. You know, you all lift, you have all different limb lengths, you have all different abilities to arch, spinal extension, whatever. And people will change themselves all around for that. Same with the squat. People will kind of notice like, oh, I need to go for a wider stance. I need to do whatever. But then everyone deadlifts from the same width, like if the, the, the radius of a plate, you know, it's like, do you just think that everyone is able to get into that position? Like that's what like, that radius of plate is like nine inches or something. It's like, of course not. And this is why you see so much variation in people's deadlifts. You know, like someone will have, like I have literally like almost a, a horizontal back when I'm deadlifting. Like it's, I could, I could claim that that is me just doing a stiff leg deadlift and that I just have an awesome stiff leg deadlift. Um, <laughs> but you'll, you'll see this. So even just down to those kind of power lifting movements, if you want to call them that, people's bodies are forced to fit the equipment right and that's not necessarily the optimal way to get gains in strength in body composition or whatever so i know this conversation and the reason we did these two podcasts was because people kind of butchered the active range of motion stuff and they kind of just go oh that just applies to the bench press or that just allows me use my ego a little bit more like oh you know, I'll do a half range bench press or a half squat because, oh, I don't have that range. Or they'll just do like rack pulls or something because they're like, oh, I just don't have that range. That's not necessarily what we're saying. We're saying there are ways to both modify your body to suit an exercise. So if you have to, you know, be a powerlifter, that's your goal in life. You know, there's things you should be looking at so that you can start dialing in a better technique for you as an individual. You know, there's also ways you're like, actually don't give a fuck about powerlifting. It's just, it's a sport. I'm here to, you know, be healthy, be generally strong and live my life. You know, you you might go, okay, so I've given this theoretical framework and given my body mechanics, 
squat is perfect for me. So I'm actually going to squat or you might go, no, squat is awful for me. You know, or a bench press is awful for me. Let me see if I can choose other things that are going to target the musculature, target the tissues, target the, the adaptations that I want more effectively, you know? So don't get either of these two podcasts mixed up in terms of the goal or the message. The goal isn't to say, like Ari said, you know, oh, you're just some fragile person. Avoid all these exercises. You know, don't ever let your your elbow go this direction or your shoulder's going to pop out of its socket or whatever. Nothing like that. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that you're fragile. What we're saying is these implements that are designed for mass consumption or mass use won't necessarily fit your body, you know? So take your unique individuality and then either make your body fit that implement if it's a sport that you have to do or choose better implements to achieve your your overall goals you know so that's what we want to give you we want to give you that empowerment to go okay so you know maybe an overhead press is not for me maybe if i do it with dumbbells it is actually for me i can actually get the the target the target benefits that i was looking to achieve with that overhead press you know is there anything else you'd like to add to that gary yeah like the only thing i add is that like it, like everyone always wants simple answers to every question and sometimes it's just a case of saying you know and and this is from like this is from like something that michael gould and all always says and tom purvis as well i actually like tom i wasn't just slating him but what he what, what they basically you know say at rts is just like let's explore that like you know when you ask a question about a specific exercise let's explore it and actually talk about it and i think that's something that's really important in a lot of areas of life, you know, um, but also in terms of exercise, because like so many personal training courses and systems and stuff, they teach you this system, they teach you loads of tools, but they don't teach the assessment component, like, well, not a lot. It's, people don't really understand the assessment component and the reasons for different things. And like, what you might find is that you might go away, do some of these assessments that we're talking about, have a trainer help you with these assessments or something and find that you need to change nothing and you're doing everything perfectly. And that's absolutely perfect. And someone else might find that, oh Jesus, this explains why all these exercises are uncomfortable for me and I'm just going to make some simple adjustments and there I go. Okay, so it's not just about theory for the sake of theory. It's just about giving you answers to some of the problems that you might be having but don't get lost in the theory of it all don't like don't don't think back to this podcast and be like oh i forgot what gary said would happen if i didn't have this range of motion available it's like you don't even need to worry about that you just need to do these little simple assessments they'll take you 10 minutes you can probably do all of them in 10 minutes and boom you're sorted now you know what you can go away and do yeah perfect and also with that as well i know we did mention in the last one but this isn't just about pain you know, this isn't just about, oh, if I go into this range, I will feel pain in X joint or X muscle. That's not what we're saying. You know, you might be have a, have a fucking really, really, really resilient body and be able to get into these mad ranges of motion. And because of the strength of your, your passive structures or whatever, you just don't experience pain, right? However, that doesn't mean that you're training optimally for your overall goals. You know, like if your goal is to build a massive chest and you are literally only concerned with building your pecs, you know, then having tension on those pecs throughout the entire range of motion 
is going to facilitate that goal better. So if you're like, I've assessed my active range and you know, my active range is an inch off my chest. That's where I have to stop. Then you're going to be better off. You're going to achieve your goal sooner if you actually keep tension where you're trying to target, you know? So don't just think this is about pain because that same person might be able to go, okay, cool, it's literally just an inch and they just pop out of that uh, bottom position every single time. No real pathology after that. They keep their volume you know, sensible and they don't notice any, any issues as a result, you know? And that, that, that's what this whole thing gets bastardized as a result because people don't notice injuries. They don't notice pain, even though they could be doing things better. And that's a bold shout to say as well, like, well, you could be doing this better. Like, why, why aren't you? And it's like, well, if it's working for them now, why would they change? However, you will, if you have your goals squared away, be able to achieve your goals that little bit quicker if you actually know how to assess what you have available to you. You know? Anyway, Gary, we're coming up on quite a long one. I don't know, this is like an hour and a half or some shit. Um, anything else that you'd like to finish off with this? Um, I suppose just put it into practice. Like <laughs> that. That's about it because so many people listen to these podcasts, read posts, read fucking 20 people's posts, and then just like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's like, just do something. Like, realistically, if you're not if you're not doing any harm to yourself, like, it's probably worth try, trying different things out, see, seeing what actually works for you. And I hate actually saying, you know, I'll, I'll do what works for you, because very often people are not good at telling what works for them, and they just do what they're biased to. But, like, you do have freedom in your programming, but that shouldn't paralyze you either because sometimes what this stuff can do, like having all this freedom, it paralyzes you because you have too many options available to you. And that's sometimes why some people will just be better off just saying, right, I do squats, bench and deadlift and that's it. I'll just do them for the rest of my life because I believe they're the best exercises versus the person that's on the other side of things that thinks there are no best exercises so I can do whatever I want and I'm going to change every week. So put it into practice, be consistent, reevaluate over time and don't get lost in the details either. That was beautifully succinct, Gary. Anyway, right. You are going to Gorodish soon, aren't you? Gorodish. Yes. Tomorrow, is it? When you, yeah, when you listen to this, peeps, I'm going to be in Gorodisha. So I, I, I will hopefully have internet access, but um, I won't be on the podcast for four weeks. So. Oof. See this thing, I just want everyone to know, I haven't gone away at all. And Gary's been on like fucking three months worth of holidays. He's been to Bali, he's been to fucking Southeast Asia, and now he's going to a little holiday in Belarusia. Like you're you're a scumbag, Gary. I know I'm a scumbag, but I'm the face of the business. You need me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, also, on a somewhat related note, I think oh, yeah. we can announce it now, Gary. Yes, we can. Right. We are going to have a seminar probably in the the second or third week of August. Yes? You're back by then, aren't you? Yes. Yes, sir. So details of that will be announced soon. Uh, Gary is the face of the business, apparently, so you'll probably see him announce it uh, soon. 
I'm actually the one that does all the fucking organizing with the business. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll have it organized and set up. Um, but yeah, it'll lo- likely, locally, likely be in Dublin in the Sandyford area and somewhere in the, the second or third week of August. Details will be coming soon. Yes, Gary? Yes, price five thousand euro. Ooh, yeah, we actually haven't decided on a price yet, um, but I'm sure if Gary gets his finger out and organizes it today, I can then link it in the description box below, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's going to be on what, Gary? It's going to be on physics. Ah, I told that biophysics. Yes. I told that to Laura last week. I said we were organizing a seminar and she was like, oh, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, physics. And she was like, Gary, no one will go. That'll be boring. I was like, are you serious? She actually thought we are doing a physics seminar. I felt good. Um, but no, we're, we're, we're going to be doing our kind of, I guess, foundations course, you could say. What, what we'll be doing is talking about a lot of the stuff that we, will be ta- that we talk about on the podcast, but showing you in person. So because we'll have access to a gym, We'll be able to do some basic assessment stuff, probably for for some for some maybe not all of the exercises we're talking about, um, but also going through what you should be concerned with with your nutrition, how to program your nutrition, different training variables you should be concerned with, how to change them over time, all that sort of stuff. And it'll likely be over two days, yes. Yes, sir. Saturday. Which I do Sunday. realize, which I do realize, puts a little bit of stress on people because then they have to organize, you know. Uh, accommodation and she um mm-hmm. but details to be confirmed hopefully gary gets the finger out and you know puts shit together you know because I'm, I'm relying on him considering he's the face you know <laughs> literally that involves me putting up an instagram story and saying we are doing a seminar that's the work i need to do i'll get it done i'll make Big i'll make a i'll make a page on our website Anyway, right, any parting words, seeing as we won't be talking to you for the next fucking a million years? Um, it's too easy. Can people donate any money to, I don't know, your PayPal account or something so you can spend it over in the Belarusian economy or something? I don't know. Is there something going on there? Yes. Like, because I'm there for four weeks, I'll still be able to, like, if anyone does still want to make a donation, you can make it at there's a gofundme in my instagram link maybe we can link it below this if patty's kind but if not it's go gofundme.com forward slash b c p be happy that's the link and you can donate there and it will go to good use because there's some very productive projects going on in the orphanage at the moment and i'll make sure the money is not just spent on uh, my beer or something oh disgusting right that's degeneracy Anyway, right, I am wrapping it up here. We love you guys. Some sort of details will be in the description box. Whether we have everything that we just mentioned, who the fuck knows? Anyway, Gary, any parting words? Um, just a reminder, we have loads of articles on our website. Read them. There we go. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. That's a good shout. Both free articles and paid articles in the militia. So there's information, guys. Um, right, that's it. Peace out, guys.